Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for another day to be here and be alive even, to be gathered together as those you've called and chosen and elected. We're so grateful and thankful. And we're here to celebrate the eternal life that you've purchased for us through learning your word and humbling ourselves before you, the mighty God of the universe. Father, we ask right now for special prayers for those who are sick and suffering in our congregation, uh, especially for Melody right now as she recovers from her surgery. Um, you know everyone and their pains and their difficulties, and we ask that you comfort them as only you can do. And let everyone know that uh, we're with them in spirit, even if they can't be here right now. Father, we are especially grateful and thankful for Jesus Christ, your precious Son, who took away the disease of sin that we were all born with. We thank you so much for removing that from our account through his precious blood. Father, we ask that you help us all right now concentrate and forget about the details of life, but give ourselves over to you and your word right now. Help us be guided by your spirit. We ask these things in the name of our precious Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Our attitude towards wisdom, part three. So if you missed uh, the first two parts of the series from earlier this week, uh, this past week, I hope you catch it on our website, as most of what we discussed will not be reviewed today. So the Spirit started this series with a general discussion about we believers holding to a positive attitude in life, just in general. And uh, one example came up on Thursday one of many examples of why we should be carrying around this positive attitude. But on Thursday, we were asked, how do we not hold a positive attitude when we're related to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? The master of the universe, literally. Forget your comic book movies. The master of the universe, the creator of all things, the giver of life, we're related to him, our God and Savior. So turn in your Bibles to Revelation 17, 14. Revelation 17, 14. Just for a nice reminder on, on starting us off on the right foot, mentally even. Revelation 17, 14. And this is about the end times. This is when the Lord will take care of business, so to speak when the time comes and the need calls for it. Revelation seventeen fourteen. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And go to our Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19.11. 
It's fun to look at all the titles, the different titles that the Lord has given. Uh, they just remind us of all of his attributes. But here's another one in verse 11. And I saw a heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. By the way, as came out on Thursday, there's more evidence that our attitude towards the Word and wisdom is our attitude towards Christ himself. Again, his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. How are we not confident and positive in life, knowing that's our Lord and Savior? The King of kings and Lord of lords is on our side, and the God of all comfort is on our side as well. Turn to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. We're starting off with some good reminders. And may those in our church family who are sick and struggling take this passage to heart. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So it doesn't matter what we're going through right now in our lives, prosperity or adversity. We live life with a positive attitude because of who's by our side. That's the only reason because of who's by our side. And the one who is by our side is able to comfort us greatly. Here was a main point from this week to cling to on the board, having a positive attitude. We believers should go about life with a positive attitude for one reason only, because we have confidence in the Lord and His goodness. God is with us and for us. We saw Psalm 46.1, Jeremiah 20.11, Romans 8.28-32, and 1 John 4.4. 4. And we were reminded whenever we lose our way spiritually, which we all do at times, we must go back to the simplest of truths, like on the board. The Lord is for us and not against us, according to Holy Scripture. What's, what's greater than that? What's more important to know than that? The Lord is for us and not against us if we believe 
in his son. So if we don't have a regular positive attitude, like on a regular basis, what also we were reminded of this week, that means you're letting the flesh dominate you. If on a habitual basis you don't carry a positive attitude about life in general, you're letting the flesh get to you. You're letting sin teshuka you. You're letting it dominate your life, your soul. And that's where you might need to confess and turn to God and ask for help. But if it's not, if it's not on a regular basis, you're letting sin defeat you and the world defeat you. So repent and turn back and ask for God's help. So the same Holy Spirit who lives in us told us to take this positive attitude toward life that we're supposed to have and transfer that to a positive attitude towards wisdom. So in other words, how do we look at wisdom? That's kind of the theme. How do, we, how do you personally look at wisdom? What's your outlook towards wisdom and gaining it as the prime treasure in your life? And we must remember, too, God sees the intentions of the heart. That's what this series is really all about. God sees the intentions of the heart. He sees what you're going into it with when you open your Bible, for example, when you come to church. And we're also to realize that wisdom means coming to know our God and Savior. This is another theme from this week, coming to know Him, His person not just learning facts about God. On the board, we've seen this quite a bit now. Jeremiah 9:24 in the NLT, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord, who demonstrates unfailing love, who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is true wisdom. If you can boast that you truly know God and you understand that He's the Lord. And that takes time to grow into, to develop, to... I mean, we never arrive anyway, but we're continually growing towards that thing where we know Him, His person. That's what God's desire is for us. So our series title, again, is Our Attitude Towards Wisdom. Do you look at wisdom as getting to know your God and Savior on a personal level? Do you look forward with a positive attitude to gaining a greater understanding of God and His thoughts? This is not about religion. This is not about some kind of religious... Um, making it up to God by your daily faithfulness. This is about the real deal, meaning a relationship, meaning he wants us to get to know him. That's what true wisdom is all about. That's really why we have the word of God. And let's remember he promises to reveal himself to the humble. He wants to. He's eagerly waiting to reveal himself to us. When we get out of the way and we're humble on a daily basis like that, he's going to reveal himself to you because that's who he is. So on the board, our attitude towards wisdom. By faith, do you have a positive attitude about discovering God?
God's wisdom, even expecting to receive understanding from the Spirit each time you open your Bible? It's a good question. And if that's not you on a habitual basis, well, take this wisdom the Spirit is giving you and apply it to yourself. You know, check yourself and stop being religious if you have been. As we've been seeing, how we seek will affect what we find. How we seek God is going to affect what we find, if anything. If we seek God with the wrong motivation, we're not going to find. Not him, anyway. We'll find something. Maybe some kind of religious substitute. Some kind of deception, even. Which God, even in the Word, has given people deception because that's what they wanted. They didn't really want to know him. So over time, as they kept a hard heart, and they said, nah, I'm in this for my reasons. God gave them over to deception. God wants a relationship and he can't be fooled, obviously. Again, he's looking at the intentions of our heart. And as James said, if you're going to be double-minded, not humbling yourself before him and his word, and you're wavering back and forth, you should expect to receive nothing. That's been another repeated theme from the Spirit. So we've also seen this point this week our attitude towards wisdom, attitude, a close relative of perspective, is something very vital to our spiritual lives. This being so important because God simply and always looks at the heart, as in 1 Samuel 16, 7. And again, God sees the intentions of our hearts. Do you remember the question that came up a few weeks ago in our lessons where pastor said, do you have an intent to learn? When you open your Bible, do you have an intent to learn as opposed to going through some kind of motions? The Spirit has had us examining our hearts for quite a while, uh, not just this past week. He wants us to discover where we stand individually in relation to seeking Wisdom from God, seeking Him. So there are two huge questions that came up this week on the board. We might call these our main questions for this series. Key considerations in your soul. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? Only you can answer that. You know you should look at wisdom as riches and wealth. But in your heart, when you're alone, and when you're even contemplating opening your Bible, do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth in your own soul? Matthew 6.33, Matthew 13.44-46, Job 28, and Proverbs 2.1-10. And how often do you pray for wisdom? Another key question. How often do you pray for wisdom? as in 2 Chronicles 1.10, which we'll see later on. The Bible teaches if we don't look at wisdom as something of priceless value, we are blind. We are at least partially blind. Put your spiritual glasses on, the Spirit is saying. Look at this the right way. God's wisdom has a priceless value, way beyond riches even, as we're going to see in the Word. 
So turn again to Matthew 13, 44. Matthew 13, 44. This is just a, a really good visual for what we're talking about right now. The Lord illustrates the attitude of a true believer with these two short parables. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you see the attitude of these people once they discover the truth about the kingdom of heaven? This is what saving faith looks like. And therefore, the faith believers carry with them through the sanctification process. The Spirit added a couple of wonderful passages in my studies yesterday, um, as he often does, right where I'm reading in my own Bible, was the exact chapter that I opened up to and talked about this exact principle. So, he's so faithful and somehow he works his timing out so wonderfully. Um, again, the theme, the point is, do you see wisdom as greater than earthly riches and wealth? Think about how you think about wealth. Think about how you think about if you became a millionaire tomorrow. Do you look at riches, I'm sorry, wisdom as greater than those riches? If we're honest, we all have to say no, I think. I don't know. I'm not in your head. I'm in my head, which is tough at times. But um, if we're honest, we don't view it with that same type of honor. Honor is not the right word. That same type of excitement and enthusiasm as earthly riches. But the Bible says that's how we should look at wisdom. And we have it right here to go dig, go dig out any day we want. So, let's go to one of the wisdom books. Uh, turn to uh, Job 28. Job 28. Let's hear the wisdom of a faithful man of God in the middle of his horrific sufferings. Job hearkens back to a treasure hunt for the wisdom of God. And that, that's another good way to look at the search for wisdom, the search for knowing God. It's supposed to be a treasure hunt. We just read about that in Matthew 13. We should have the attitude of, I'm hunting for treasure. What am I going to find today? You know, I've, I found the one great pearl of great value, but what am I going to find today different about that pearl that I haven't noticed before? Or uh, my, my picture, my view is going to become fuller of the riches that I possess. So look at Job 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to the darkness, to darkness, and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. What is he talking about? He's talking about a mine shaft. 
And this is Job. This is before 1500 B.C. So those of us that think we all have all the technology now and all the ideas now, we're all smarter now, they had mine shafts back then. They were digging for gold, etc. Look at verse 4. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth, from it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. Why? Because it's underground. Right? It's a mine shaft. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out channels through the rocks, and his eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. And now Job switches gears. He's talking about hunting for literal treasure, precious stones and rocks. Look at verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Now keep in mind, Job spoke these words before any of the Bible was written. Even the Torah, even the Old Testament, the first five books, they weren't written yet. Job is considered the oldest book in the Bible, actually. So none of this was written. Thankfully, we now have God's word at least what he wants us to discover in writing. But even then, we mustn't get arrogant because it's up to the Holy Spirit to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. We must never forget that. Again, it's how we seek that determines what we find in the Word. It's up to God to reveal and help us understand. So again, look at verse 20. Job says, where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. God understands its way and he knows its place. In other words, ultimately, wisdom belongs to our sovereign God. And it's up to him if he's going to reveal it to us. He doesn't have to. Again, verse 23, God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, 
when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. What man can explain how a thunderbolt comes down? Or why or where it comes down? What man can explain the things mentioned, the waters meted out by measure, the tides, the wind, the weight of the wind? Obviously, we can't explain that. God knows exactly how they work because he designed it. So the point again is in verse 28, to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord. In other words, you don't know like I do. You should have fear of the Lord. That's wisdom. And depart, to depart from evil is understanding. So again, our main point is on the board. Key considerations in your soul. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? And how often do you pray for wisdom? Then the wisest king of Israel, who did a lot of speaking in the Bible, by God's grace, Solomon gives us his advice, and he also compares wisdom to riches. So turn to our last verse, Proverbs 2, verse 1. Proverbs 2, verse 1. Our last verse on this first question. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? Proverbs 2, 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, you know, like you would seek silver if you knew there was a silver mine down the street. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. In other words, how would you seek for gold in the mines and the streams? You would seek, you would truly seek, you would hunt, you would go on a hunt for those treasures. That's when you're going to discern the fear of the Lord and understand and know the knowledge of God. The question comes back, do we really want to know? Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. That's really awesome. I mean, I picture God's word protecting me. I picture God's word, you know, the spirit bringing the word up in my mind just at the right time before I'm to make a bad decision, for example. 
or the Spirit giving me the wisdom from His Word at the right time to make a good decision and go forward by faith instead of hesitating. He protects us. He understands, uh, understanding watches over you, you know, through the daily walk that only we can live. We can't ask others to help us with, with our own walk, but God will watch over you if you gain His wisdom. Does gold guard you? Does silver watch over you? If anything, they create more problems and people coming at you for the wrong reasons. I don't know about you, but I'm at the point in my life where I'd rather be poor and enjoy a simple can of beans than be rich and complicate my life. But if we invest in God's wisdom, it actually protects us. Isn't that kind of what we're after? One of the things in life we're after? Happiness, security, protection from evil, right? He promises protection if we seek Him with the right intent of the heart. He'll even provide many other things in life that we desire, as we read about this past week. So then the Spirit had us take this right attitude towards wisdom that He wants us to adopt, that it's greater than earthly treasures. And he wanted us to synthesize it with principles from Pastor's blog on obedience. And that the general point is that anyone can seek for knowledge. Anyone can gain knowledge even for personal gain. But to do so out of love for your God and your Creator, that's the ultimate motivation. And that's what God wants. He wants our hearts. To seek Him, to seek His wisdom out of love for Him, that's the ultimate. That's where God wants us. And he's not letting up. Is he? On this congregation, he's not letting up. He's been talking to us about this for years in different ways. And this is where true goodness lies. This is where true relationship lies. This is where true freedom lies. So let's synthesize with some of the messages from this blog. A cold shell of obedience from 8 to 19. There are two kinds of obedience, that which is done in love and that which is not. There's not three kinds. What's your attitude? What's your reason for obeying? What's your reason for reading the word, which is obedience also, right? What's your reason? What's the intention of our hearts? There are two kinds of obedience, that which is done in love and that which is not. And in like manner, there are two ways we can seek wisdom, which means seek God, right? Same thing. There are two ways we can seek God, either out of love or not out of love. So we might rightly ask ourselves, why do I seek wisdom? Why do I open my Bible up? Is it because my pastor beat it into my head so that now I'm doing it just so I'm not guilty? Eh. Bad motivation, right? Bad motivation. If you had a little child, do you want him doing something only out of shutting you up as a parent? Or do you want to do him to do it out of love for you and that he appreciates your command, so to speak? 
Am I seeking God and His wisdom out of love and appreciation for Him or not? This is where the rubber meets the road. On the board, our attitude towards wisdom. For seeking wisdom to be godly, it must rightly be done while maintaining the same love. We saw this in Philippians 2, 1 through 2, and 1 John 4, 19, which says, We love because he first loved us. For seeking wisdom to be godly, it must rightly be done while maintaining the same love. Listen, when Satan got kicked out of heaven, and then the Bible is finally written, he sought wisdom. But he sought it from the wrong motivation as the enemy, trying to know what his enemy thought. Did he seek out of love? No way. So it was ungodly. Again, he knows the Bible way better than any of us. But it was ungodly wisdom, ungodly seeking of wisdom. So it must be done in love, whatever we do. If, we, if we're going to pursue the things of God, God, your Father, greatly desires that we do it out of love, not out of some other perverted reason. Subtle reasons. Look at the intent of your heart. Look at your intention. Do you have a subtle, perverted, selfish reason for opening your Bible? Only you can answer that for yourself. But without love, the whole pursuit of God and His wisdom is going to be fruitless and empty. So says the Word of God. So here's another point. Another main point from the Spirit this week, perspective on wisdom. God's wisdom is grounded in His love. Gaining His wisdom doesn't only include growing in His love. God's wisdom is infused with love because God is love. 1 John 4, 8 and 16, they both say God is love. So if you're going to gain God, God's wisdom, you're going to simultaneously gain God's love. Just like an oil cannot be separated from the herbs and spices within it. It's infused. It's part of it. The fact is we can't take in God's wisdom without taking in His love. Otherwise, otherwise, we have a counterfeit in our hands. We're holding on to a counterfeit. Counterfeit wisdom if we don't have love. So if you're like me, at times you lack love and proper motivation. And this is where daily prayer can rescue us and save us, even from ourselves. God possesses all wisdom. Remember, God knows our every thought already. Therefore, prayer should be a place of utterly honest communication with our Heavenly Father. And here's the main point. When we humbly ask for help, even with our motivation, God's going to answer. You say, how does he help your motivation? I have no idea. It's a supernatural, spiritual thing that only he can do. Only he can change hearts, right? But I know he'll help because of verses like Matthew 7, 7 through 11, which we're not going to go to again. We've been to it many times. But ask and you will receive from the words of our Lord. I was saying earlier this week, when this point came up, on Thursday, I think, how sometimes I pray, and while I'm praying, there's a thought in the back of my mind that 
that is there, but I don't say it to God as though I'm hiding it from him. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. But he's already thought about and knows the thought that I'm holding back. So our father's like, will you just be totally open and honest with me right now, even the ugly stuff that you're thinking right now? Let's talk about it. And if you're humble about it, I'm going to help you get over it. So as you see this point on the board, keep in mind your attitude towards wisdom. A little bit more from a cold shell of obedience. If we are simply going through the motions, we are failing, no matter how magnificent our labors might appear outwardly or even superficially to ourselves in the mirror. We can convince ourselves of an awful lot when we put our minds to it. The human mind is especially adept at counterfeiting. So what if we find this is us going through the motions? What do we do? How about even as believers repenting of our bad attitude and asking God for mercy, asking God to increase our faith? Ask and you shall receive. But the Spirit's asking everybody, when's the last time you asked? When's the last time you honestly, openly, humbly asked for help, even with your motivation? Again, this is where relationship comes in. We need to talk to God every day about every area of our lives. Because he's right there with us anyway. If Jesus was in your car with you all day long, would you not talk to him? Would you, you know, ignore him for that long of a time? Well, he is right next to us. He's in us. But whatever visual works for you, he's with us every single where we go, everything we do. We should be talking to him about everything. Do you like this, Lord? Should I be going forward with this? Is this ugly to you? Because we don't know. Half the time we don't know. It's about relationship. When's the last time you asked for help, even with the smallest of things? Going on on the blog, it says maybe you've been reading your Bible half asleep or you've rushed it like you would a chore. Ouch. Maybe you've become familiar with your church family, skipping days when the doors are open and the word is being preached. Maybe you've forgotten to count your blessings. Worst of all, maybe you've become familiar with Christ's work on your behalf, forgetting that you've been purchased with a price and that your life isn't yours to keep. Wake up, your familiarity has made you bitter. The only time we get bitter is when we forget the things we should be grateful for, when we forget all the good things that he's done for us. Right? When we forget his grace and mercy and his gentleness that hasn't killed us. I was talking to Andrea before class. I'm like, I thank God every day just for his gentleness toward me, for the things he should have done to me, for my disobedience or lack of love or whatever. But he's so gentle if we're humble to him, Right? But if we forget about what he's done for us, what do we expect? And that familiarity is what makes us bitter about life instead of positive about life. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you considered that you're lucky to even be alive? 
Honestly, I use the word lucky because we can relate to that. Luck has nothing to do with it, but that's how we think sometimes, right? When's the last time you considered that you're even lucky to be alive? What if yesterday you narrowly escaped death? You almost got run over by a truck. And you know you should have died right there. But somehow, miraculously, you did not. How would you feel about your life today if that happened to you yesterday? This reminds me of a story uh, Anthony shared with us in men's Bible study. Uh, maybe it's good Anthony's not here this morning. I don't know. But he was telling us, as a young boy, he was running across the street after the light turned green. His sin nature was kicking because what him and his friends would do is they would wait till the light turned green, and then they'd run. Why? Because you can, or you think you can, and you want to try it, Right? So they'd wait till the light turned green, then they'd run across the street, try to beat the cars. And what he believes was an angel one day, because he and stum- uh, slipped and stumbled when he started running, he believes an angel one day lifted up his backside to get him out of the way of an oncoming car. You can ask him the story when you see him. But he says he literally felt something on his back, and while he was running, he was looking back to see who was pushing him. And he really believes he should have been hit by that car. And he, he, he said the guy actually gunned it, too. What a, some jerk at the light, right? He gunned it. He's like, you bratty kids. But how would you look at your life today if that happened to you yesterday, where you know you should have been dead? Maybe some of you have an experience you can recall and apply it to yourself. Why do we forget? Why do we get familiar with him saving our life? So when's the last time you've considered that you have narrowly escaped death? We all have that you were saved once for all from eternal judgment for your sins and from eternal death. What's our problem? How can we forget this? All right? This is where daily prayer can save us, can rescue us from ourselves. We are lucky to be alive by God's providence, of course. So we must never take his kindness and his sacrifice for granted. We should be in hell right now. I don't know about you, but that makes the rest of life, and I don't care. I'm not talking about being irresponsible with things you should be doing, and etc. But you really shouldn't worry about these details in life that we worry about when you've been rescued from hell. So on the board, eternally saved from death. That's all of us who have trusted in Christ to save us from our sins, eternally saved from death. If we go about life holding on to this true perspective, we can't help but be happy and grateful. And we won't really care about the other details of our lives. As I said on Thursday, don't you wish, you know, for one minute you just would stop caring about the stupid things you worry about? Wouldn't it be nice to just be free from all that type of thinking? Well, here's the thing we lose sight of that prevents us from freedom. We're not really going to care about the other details of our lives if we hold to this perspective. I have been eternally saved from death, permanently, as in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. In other words, we should be on cloud nine all the time, so to speak. 
right? Shouldn't we always have this uh, constant flowing appreciation of being saved from hell? Unless you don't really believe it's hell in your own heart, even though Jesus said it multiple times. A car problem? Eh, no big deal. I've been saved from eternal death. What do I care that my car is in the shop right now and I have no way to get home? I've been saved from eternal death. A relationship problem? Yeah, it could be better. But I've been saved from eternal death. I really don't care that much. I should be dead and in hell right now. No money left? I don't really care. I got a can of beans. I've been saved from eternal death. What do I care? What do I care? All other things clearly pale in comparison. They're not even worth comparing. So it's our own fault we lose the right perspective. That's the only thing that gets us miserable and bitter when we get familiar. All other things pale in comparison. It's like the bold light of the sun comparing it to a man-made flashlight. It's silly to compare. On the board, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice the past tense. I love that. He rescued us already. He transferred us already to his kingdom. But what do we do? We become wickedly familiar. And we lose this precious perspective that saves us every day. That's the only reason we're miserable and bitter. So as we struggle with these types of things, because we still have a flesh to carry around, we fall back into our old ways of thinking. So here's the question on the board. Some more key considerations for our souls. Why don't we ask God for spiritual things? Is that a fair question? Do you ask God for spiritual things more than you ask God for like physical things? Why is asking for wisdom closer to the bottom of our list than the top? If it is, why is asking for wisdom closer to the bottom of our list than the top? We have a lot to think about in regards to where true riches lie, what we individually consider true riches to be. Is it because our hearts really don't believe it's wisdom that will give us happiness and peace? Is that why? That other people, we think other people or material things can do so quicker or easier? The world is going to attack you on this, by the way. This is the opposite of the deceptions in the world. The world's going to attack you on these things and try to convince you true riches can be had like this if you just go this way. Satan says, I'll give it to you right now. And then when you crash and burn nine months later, you learn the lesson the hard way instead of the easy way, right? The world's going to attack you on these principles. So be ready for it. Don't buy the lie. Instead, cry out every day, Lord, help me get to know you better. Help me understand you. I actually want to understand you. Like how you think. I want to know you. 
more perspective on wisdom. God is trying to cleanse our hearts from deception. And that includes the lie that gaining his wisdom doesn't need to be our top priority and our heart's desire. Matthew 6.33, we saw this week, and 1 Kings 3.9, which we'll see today. We're going to get back to this point in a, in a couple minutes too, but again on the board, God is trying to cleanse our hearts from deception. And that includes the lie that gaining his wisdom doesn't need to be our top priority and our heart's desire. Big fat lie. The world's going to attack you on this. We were also reminded in the blog that God desires compassion, not sacrifice. So we're back to love again. God desires compassion, not sacrifice. That includes in our seeking of him. That includes in our loving of others. And that is more important than any sacrifice we could ever make. On the board, a cold shell of obedience. Sacrifices in the Bible are results of, not causes of, spiritual wisdom. We don't get wisdom from making sacrifices in a religious way. Hosea 6.6, 6, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Matthew 9.13, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Again, what good is doing the work of God without the wisdom and love of God? That's why this topic is so important. Turn to Mark 12, 28. Mark 12, 28. We've got about 15 minutes left, and then we'll celebrate communion as well. What is your attitude towards wisdom. And what is wisdom? Mark 12, 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and, with, and to love one's neighbor as himself, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. On the board, very important point. As we know, God is after our hearts. Knowing and loving God is of far greater importance to God than the sacrifices we make. It's not even close. 
So if, you, if you're making sacrifices with your life, maybe you're helping other people, maybe you, it's a sacrifice to read your Bible at times. Maybe you're giving up certain things in life that you could have. Maybe earthly riches you're giving up to do certain things for God. If you're doing that without love as your motivation, you might as well, poof, watch it go up in smoke. God wants our hearts. Again, on the board, knowing and loving God is of far greater importance to God than the sacrifices we make. You're better off stop doing the sacrifices and sit down with God for two weeks by yourself and hash this out with Him and come to an understanding that knowing Him and loving Him is the greatest priority. And we literally might have to do that. Some of us might literally have to take a sabbatical from life in some way. I don't know. It's between you and God. But we just saw this in Matthew 12, 28-34. We need to get this point on the board through our thick skulls. And I say that with love. By the way, why is it every nationality boasts about having a thick skull? You ever thought about that? It's, it's true. They actually boast about it. I met with a guy last week, one of my customers for, for, in work, and his name is Chet. Please keep Chet in prayer. Uh, he, he called himself the Polak. And he was boasting about having a thick skull. He's like, yeah, us Polacks, we've got a thick skull. You're not going to get through this skull. That's actually not a good quality, right? But, Chad, if you're listening, I apologize. You know, no, no offense. But we all do this. We boast in having a thick skull. I'm being arrogant, basically. Right? Being set in our ways. Yeah, that means pride. Right? So it's just funny. I was thinking about why every nationality does that. The thick-headed Sicilian. Right, Ma? Thick-headed Sicilian. You've got to do this when you say that. Um, <laughs> The Portuguese, right? I got a thick skull. Whatever. Anyway, just sharing. This point we have to get through our thick skulls. It, there's no comparison to these two things on the board. So again, God is trying to cleanse our hearts from deception. And that includes the lie that gaining his wisdom doesn't need to be our top priority in heart's desire. So, as we begin to close, let's look at one of the most noble prayers in the Bible. It's noble because it's a heartfelt request for things that are not material, but for the things of God. And because, as we'll see, it expresses a love for God and his people, not for self. So, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 3, verse 3. 1 Kings 3, verse 3. Maybe that's why this prayer is recorded in Scripture. Um, it's because of its nobility, if you will. God would love it if we all prayed like this. 1 Kings 3.3 3. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So first of all, please notice Solomon wasn't perfect, but he did love the Lord. His desire and appreciation was for the Lord. That's why he made the sacrifices. 
Okay? So again, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king, Solomon, went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. But notice again, his love for God in verse 3 came first. His love for God motivated these thousand offerings he made to God. And God knew it, because God knows the heart. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. What if God said that to you tonight? Might be a scary question to ask us. God said to Solomon, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Do you see Solomon's appreciation and gratitude? Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, and yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Do you see his humility? Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So, Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Do you see Solomon was obeying the first two commandments that the scribe talked to Jesus about? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And these are far greater than burnt offerings. Do you see how Solomon's heart was right? With God, he was loving God and loving others. That was his concern in verse 9, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Look at verse 9 again. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. In other words, I care about your people to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? I don't know about you, but I see love for God and love for others. And that's what motivated his sacrifices. Verse 10, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days." So again, notice, Solomon asked for wisdom. And the Lord was pleased with that righteous request. 
so he granted it. Do you think God might want to do this for us? Do you think God might want to do something similar for us who humble ourselves before him like Solomon did and, and choose to do so out of love for him like Solomon did? We know the answer to that question. Go to 2 Chronicles 1, verse 7. 2 Chronicles 1, verse 7. As we close and get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Here we see another version of this noble prayer recorded for us. 2 Chronicles 1, 7. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can rule this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you asked even for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you, and... I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. Now, by the way, don't ask God for wisdom with the back of your mind expecting to get riches and honor. He knows your heart, <laughs> right? We do that, don't we? But Solomon apparently didn't do that. He didn't do that thing that we might even accuse him of. Ah, you just wanted the money. So he asked for wisdom because you knew that's what God wanted to hear. No, apparently not, because God wouldn't have granted him this prayer. So anyway, let's not fool ourselves, right? Uh, verse 12. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. So Solomon went from the high place, which was at Gibeon, from the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. So, can we or can we not learn from Solomon's humility and love for God? His heart's desire was to know God, to serve Him, to take care of His people. And if that's not your heart right now, that's okay. It's not mine on half of the days. But we need to humbly ask for assistance the God of all mercies, the God of all comfort wants to help us even fix our heart, so to speak. Solomon wisely sought for wisdom above all else. And that's the main message today, really, isn't it? That wisdom should be considered top priority in our hearts above all riches and honor that this world can give us. Because in reality, as we've seen in Holy Scripture, it is true riches and honor. It is true wealth. 
and let God take care of all the details of your life that you're worried about. Right? Amen? We're so foolish when we dwell on the details. God's like, I want you to know me. I want you to want to know me. And when you come to that place with me and fellowship with me in that way and read the Bible in that way, I'm going to bless you. And wisdom's going to guard you and understanding's going to protect you. So let's dwell on that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, ushers, if you could please pass out the elements. So a big part of the message today was uh, not taking our salvation for granted, not being familiar with what the Lord has done for us. And his body and his blood, the sacrifice of those things is what made eternal life possible for us, what paid our debt in full. Um, but just think about how somebody totally innocent gave up his body and blood like that. While we deserve that type of death, he was a total opposite. And he gave up his body and blood for us. So may we never be familiar with this thing and let this be our primary motivation every day as we walk about life with a positive attitude because we've been eternally saved from death. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In memory of our Lord, let us eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In memory of our Lord, let's drink the cup. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, guiding us, convicting us, teaching us. We thank you for changing our attitude towards wisdom, showing us the right way to look at things and what true riches are all about. Help us, Father, to dwell on these things on our own. Help us to come to you with an open, honest, humble heart so that you can take us to the place we need to be. Father, most of all, we're grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ, to make this all possible, make eternal life even a reality for us, and that he's already rescued us and transferred us to his kingdom. Praise goes to you, Father. We ask, Father, that you help us bring your word out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.